You are now tuning in to the Own the Build podcast. Join Sealing's very own Paul Hemming, where each week he interviews experts from the world of construction and asks all the important questions around intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode 114 of the Own the Build podcast with me, Paul Hemming. Following on from last week's ebook share, you can again find in the podcast description a free copy of my ebook, The Ultimate Guide to Subcontract Tendering. Simple guide to creating masterful tenders. It is the thing to be doing, guys. And thanks to everyone who's given me feedback. I'm on paul at c-link.com, so give me a shout if you want to uh, ask me any questions or give me any feedback. In the studio today, we have an illustrious, illustrious guest. We have got Andrew Knight, who is the Global Data and Tech Lead at the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors, the RICS, who I think everyone will have heard of. Andrew is a highly experienced technology specialist and is currently leading the program to develop, enhance and gain adoption of RICS's data standards. I'm interested to learn more about all of those things. Andrew, it's great to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm great. A pleasure to be talking today. Pleasure is all mine. Uh, You know, talking to the RICS, talking about new data standards, it might sound sad, Andrew, but (laughs) I'm looking forward to this quite a bit. So, at the top of the show, I always like to ask a question about your journey. You're in construction, you're at the RICS. Talk to us about your journey into construction, your experience, and what exactly you do today. Yeah, surely. Well, I mean, it, it's a very long journey. We've only got an hour, so I will have to abridge it and take out the uh, <laughs> the bits that aren't, aren't you know. We'll uh, edit it. We'll edit yeah, it. Yeah, that aren't worry. suitable for public consumption. But j- joking aside, I mean, my data and technology experience goes back an awful long way. I, I asked this question of the audience at Future Build a couple of days ago and got people to put their hands up if they'd ever heard of a punch card, and not many had. So, you know, I've been in the data and tech space for a very, very long time. In terms of construction and, and indeed the built and the natural environment uh, more broadly, I've been with RICS, it'll be 12 years in April. And one of the great things about working for a professional body like RICS is, is A, it covers such a wide range of practice areas across the built environment, not only in the UK, but globally as well. And you get the opportunity to, to move around the organization, do a number of different roles. So my kind of learning curve, not just about construction as a practice area but also building surveying and valuation and planning and development and infrastructure and all the different ranges i mean we have over 20 different practice areas that uh, surveyors can become qualified in has been over that 12 years doing a variety of roles and, and they've ranged from working with our member firms of every size around helping them understand the membership process the kind of competencies that are involved working with construction firms and others to identify the kind of training they need around things like NEC 3 or 4 or procurement and the whole range of issues or, uh, you know, things that they need to think about in terms of their skills and competencies. And also increasingly now the technology side of actually how do our standards relate to the real world and the real world of technology now. So it's been a really kind of interesting journey for me to move across from our standards team to work in public affairs, working with our uh, external stakeholders in, in the city, for example, looking at issues around valuation and cost benchmarking and all those kind of things. So it's been a real kind of university education within our ICS around not only construction as a practice area, but that broad canvas of all the different areas that surveyors get involved in. Because I, I made the stupid question when I joined our ICS and said, 
you know, what does a typical surveyor do? And they just fell around laughing like the uh, aliens in the Cadbury <laughs> Smash <laughs> adverts. You got? I guess the... <laughs> I guess the big question, though, Andrew, and I think I know your answer because it's obvious given current company, what is your favourite type of surveyor? Well, I, I think I will take the Stop diplomatic route. About it. No, I'm going to take the diplomatic <laughs> route and, and say that they all have wonderful things about what oh. they do. Yeah, big sigh. But, you know, I, I think they're all fascinating <laughs> because I think they are, they mix the kind of intellectual rigour of the kind of things you're doing with the fact you're also working with the real world. So whatever you're doing as a surveyor, there'll be this intellectual judgment, scepticism, analytics, um, considered judgment, but that actually you're dealing with real world objects that have such a, an implication for, for human beings. So whether you're QS or whether you're you know, a program manager or whether you're commercial manager or whether you're a building surveyor, you're, you're dealing with real world assets, things that really impact people and have a really profound and hopefully positive effect. But also there's some really intellectually challenging elements as well. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we're going to talk, actually, you've already touched on something that when we originally spoke, I wanted to uh, bring back out in this conversation, that intellectual or professional scepticism that all surveyors have. I want to drill into that a bit later because we've talked about the evolution of the role of the quantity surveyor quite a bit on this show. So we'll come back to that. And the answer was actually quantity surveyors. We're the best surveyors, just so it's clear. <laughs> what So... All of this is in the context that a lot of quantities of are listening, lots of other people listening as well. But talk to me then. So your global data and tech lead, what does being the RICS's global data and tech lead actually involve other than sounding truly fantastic? Well, it, it, it sounds truly fantastic. And I guess I, I always feel privileged when I wake up each morning and think, well, I'm going to do that day because... A, I get to talk to a, an incredibly interesting spectrum of people, not only within the profession, but within the data and tech uh, sort of ecosphere as well. You know, all those various people who are you know innovating and bringing new products to the sector, but also because I have the ability to to roam at will. If that doesn't sound a bit too, too strange way of putting it, to, to think, well, actually, what are the effects of data and tech on the profession? How does that impact our standards? How does that impact the competencies that our members need, both in terms of CPD if they're in the profession already or what does it mean in terms of competencies when they come on board as the new generation and indeed how do we use data and technology to uh, attract the next generation and broaden the demographic of the uh, of the profession and I say how do our standards now work in the world of data and technology how do we make sure that these real world standards still have relevance and still can be applied in this increasingly digital world so you know it, it's a wonderful role to have as I say, I get to speak to lots of people. I get to sort of arguably stick my fingers in lots of elements of what we should be doing as a professional body to make sure that we continue to be relevant because, you know, the sector, one can argue, is a little bit of a laggard compared to other parts of the uh, economy in terms of the way uh, we've digitized. Just a little bit well, of yes, a laggard. <laughs> yeah. For me, that's a kind of a, a double-edged sword in the sense, yes, we're behind the curve, but then think of the opportunities. Think of what we can do in terms of improving the way we deliver the built environment by digitizing in a responsible, sensible way and taking the learnings from perhaps where things didn't work so well for other sectors. You're completely speaking my language. I think that therein lies the opportunity. Yes, we haven't digitized. We're 21 out of 22, I think, for digitization of all sectors of industry. So there's a long way to go. But I agree. It's that should whet the appetite of people listening. Like, what, what? Imagine what we could do in a world where we were digitised. It's absolutely amazing. You said one thing there, which 
I didn't know if I wanted to ask you, but seeing as you kind of touched on it, the relevance of the RICS. So the RICS is a old and very traditional establishment and organisation. Been around for decades, years, centuries, right? Talk to me about that word there, relevance, because is data and tech part of how the RICS sees its vision of retaining its relevance? Like how how does it how does it hold on to that? I think very much so. I mean, I mean we have three kind of really broad, important kind of objectives as an institution at the moment around diversity and inclusion, which I think is a clearly a huge issue for the profession to make sure that we reflect the citizens that we serve and that we get the broader set of demographics in as the next generation to to i know it's a cliche to talk about the you know the global war for talent but we need the best people coming into this profession and so we need to to fish in the biggest pool and get that wider demographic we've also as you well know across the many dimensions of sustainability not just emissions but more broadly thinking about sustainability the built environment and you know it's an oft quoted figure, 40% of emissions from the built environment. We have a huge responsibility as a profession to drive that change. Again, huge opportunity. Yeah, it's an opportunity, but it's it's playing catch up because we've we've clearly had a huge impact in a negative way upon the environment. And we've got to we've got to negate that in a positive sense of the word negate. And then finally, data and technology will radically in a good way change the ability of the sector to respond to those challenges, make it an attractive profession, a contemporary one. But that does mean that for us to be relevant in a digitized sector, our skills, our regulatory approach, our standards, our competencies should reflect that. Relevance is about keeping up to date in the same way that, you know, we've taken on board the concept of a DISTO or, you know, what could now be considered to be fairly low tech approaches. You know, every sector will evolve. As you say, we've been around for over 150 years now. We've already seen waves of technology come in this is perhaps one of the most significant waves, but it's yet another wave that we need to make sure that what we do is relevant in a digitized world. But at the same time, not losing sight of the fact that that it's still a people profession and always will be. Uh, I love the phrase that people, somebody used on BBC saying that, you know, you're not going to lose your job to artificial intelligence, but you might lose your job to somebody who uses it if you don't. So it's about making sure we use the tools that are out there, but still understand this is about people and professional conduct and things like conflicts of interest and terms and conditions and, and the relationship between us and our clients. It's still a people business and we still need those conduct standards as well as the technical ones. I think you're absolutely right. Again, we're agreeing on a lot of things here because we've done quite a few shows on AI data, how it could impact quantity surveyors and facetiously titled one of the uh, episodes, The Extinction of the Quantity Surveyor, which was met with rapturous anxiety and dismay and sometimes anger and if you'd actually listened to the show it was pretty much saying you know that actually if you wrap up what tech and data is going to bring to the sector it's not going to wipe the need for quantity surveyors off the face of the earth but those who don't adapt and upskill and learn about it eventually they will probably be wiped off the face of the earth in the same way that if you hadn't bothered to learn excel 25 years ago or in the 1980s or whenever and you were now refusing to use it life would have moved on beyond you so i completely hear everything you're saying and in in many ways you've answered this question but i just want to ask it again or for clarity why is data important to the rics now 
Well, I mean, I don't know how good your Latin is, but modus is some Latin expression for measurement, as I understand it. So fundamentally, a surveyor is there to measure. And it might not just be a dimension, it might be a cost. You know, you, you know the better than I do, and it could be a quantity takeoff, a bill of quants. But, you know, the surveyor's job is... Don't get is, me started. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the job is to measure. So ultimately, data really is everything, because that's what we're reporting to clients. That's what we're basing our reasoned advice on, you know, whether it's evaluation or a say a quantity takeoff a benchmark yeah you know it's all about measurement it's all about data and it's all about the quality the provenance uh, and the the professional skepticism of looking at a piece of data and thinking you know that doesn't look quite right and also being kind of using a bit of common sense i mean a a colleague of mine um in our standards team actually in the construction part as a qs told me a story years ago when i first joined and he said I said, I remember as a a young QS going and presenting this early cost advice. And, you know, I reeled off the numbers for this building and it was like 15,658,755 pounds and 14 pence. And he thought, what have I just done? Why have I said 14 pence and so many, you know, I should have just said that it's going to be 14 million pounds. You know, which fool goes out there and, and talks about data at that level of granularity, knowing that it's an estimate and therefore you know, there's that illusion that just because a spreadsheet or a, a program produces something to that level of decimal points, you've got to be interpreting the data and understanding and adding that human overlay of experience and, uh, and as I say, judgment. Yeah, I think my, I, my feeling on this is professional scepticism, human analysis and use of that data is what makes some people think, oh, it won't wipe the need for QSs off the face of the earth. And I don't personally think that. But what my belief is, is that the data sets currently in construction are so weak. And that's whether you're at a huge company or at a small company. Obviously, there is a sliding scale. But the data sets that we have as quantity surveyors, even project managers, site managers, to make... To be professional skeptics, which is our job, the data set is rubbish. Um, so that leads me on to, I was reading about your role and the fact that you're trying to gain adoption of RICS's data standards. And that got me to thinking about how important a role that potentially is, because the the data at the moment is very sparse. It's pretty weak business to business. So what are RICS's data standards and why do they matter? Perhaps I'll answer the, the question in the opposite way you phrased it. I mean, data is key. And as you say, you know, the, 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 the sector has not been great at using the, the pretentious phrase, curated data. You know, we, we haven't been good at it. It hasn't been kind of part of our DNA. And you mentioned, you know, if you hadn't learned Excel in the last few years, you, you wouldn't be particularly employable. Um, I'm probably going to be off Bill Gates's Christmas card list. But if you could ban Excel, that would be a good start. Because what you have is a lot of... I agree. Sort of well-spirited you're on my christmas card let's forget bill gates <laughs> you know i'll well, give you a card i always say look if i asked a group of 20 people to give me their annual kind of budget on household expenses using an excel spreadsheet i'd get 20 different versions and probably someone wouldn't even tell me pedantically which currency they were talking about so you're talking my language so much here andrew this actually in the footnote of the description of this podcast i talk about 80 percent of QSs are still using Excel and why that's a problem. Yeah. But sorry, go on. You know, everybody doing it with the best of intentions. It's an incredibly flexible, powerful tool, but you then end up with as many versions of the truth as there are QSs. You know, it's like monkeys writing Hamlet <laughs> or something. You know, you, you get this. All right, be nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, on a serious note, the, the trouble is we then get 
lots of data that just simply, you know, it's the same objects with a different name. It's like, the, the, you know, the more common wise, I'm playing the right, I'm giving you the right quantities, but just in the different orders. So we end up with that lack of consistency. And in some respects, it's not rocket science. It's just as a sector, can we agree what we call things? Can we call the same things, the same things? Can we be clear with the unit of measures we've used? Is that metric? Is that imperial? Is that GBP? Is that US dollars? What was the date of that particular estimate? Can we just structure the data with, with a little bit more discipline and more consistency? And so what the data standards are, are, are trying to do in, in, in a, a situation that sometimes does feel a bit like herding cats, if I'm honest, is to try and just get some consistency on a machine to machine level and say, look, if we're going to exchange data between participants, can we just agree what we call things? Can we agree that we, we, we label it and say, where did that data come from? Back to that kind of professional skepticism. How old is this data? How is it collected? Where's it from? Is there some assurance from it? Is this from some part of the, you know, the the the, the tier of construction or the architect? Where did it come from? Are they prepared to assure this data in some way? And can we just have it in a structure that's machine readable so we can actually just pass it from system to system? Because everybody will have their different systems. It's more of a kind of a Babel fish if you get the, um, the, the reference of that concept of saying, look, let's have a common format for data interchange that says, Tell me about the asset. Tell me about the property rights, because there may be some title issues on the site, for example. There may be some planning constraints. Tell me all that information, as well as things like the ICMS standard we have for reporting, as well as perhaps the NRM type, you know, that level of, of, of cost coding. Just give us the information in a standard format so we can all agree we're looking at the same thing, but critically have that metadata as the jargon is. Where did it come from? Who signed this data off? How old is it? You know, which particular early cost advice report is it? What's the date of it? Where did it come from? Just a bit of bit of labelling. And, and how's it going? What it, how it, like how is how is uptake? Uh, it, I would say it's going to be a long journey, and it mirrors the sector as a whole. And yeah. I think for me, the, the, the frustration, if I can use that phrase, is that I think we have a lot of the technical tools that the sector needs. What we do need, I think, is a change in, in mindset and behaviours. And some of it, dare I say, is inbuilt to the nature of contracts, the sort of the nature of the, dare I say, combative part of contracts around the construction sector particularly, and some of the, the perhaps onerous rules around commercial sensitivity, which sometimes block data being uh, shared. And I think also perhaps a general perhaps misunderstanding. And I, in a previous life, I, I worked in the kind of the consumer kind of data area where there was already and i hesitate to use the word maturity but already a sense that it was better to pool data than to hoard it because actually if you had a shared view of the market whether it was for benchmarking or behaviors or whatever it was if you had that whole view and you'd pooled your data it was much more powerful to have that than to hoard your kind of five percent and run all your benchmarking and run all your profiling on that that limited view and i think it's not just construction. You think of commercial real estate and, and valuations and attributes of properties. If The more we can encourage the whole built environment to realize the importance of sharing data, both technically and from a kind of a behavioral point of view, we'll get a much better set of data. And a lot of it also just comes back to the fact that we're still in this document world where one of the other things I, I try and talk about is we've got to move away from documents to data, structured data that computers can read rather than saying, well, yeah, I've got all the information and here's the PDF. No, you speak. You, you sound a lot like the CTO at my business, who is a non-construction-minded, well, non-construction-experienced individual who's trying to shake up the way we gather data and do it in a way that perhaps someone from a different sector would do it, look at it in a different way. And for me, that's really exciting for us as a business and what we're doing with our data. But yeah, it completely resonates that 
AI data is only as good as the actual structure that the data set is coming in. The more data we have, the better. And we're in a position where data sharing and the combative nature of our sector means that people are a bit more closed, a bit more fragmented. I know that there's a lot of interesting stuff going on, like the project data analytics communities. There's a lot of interesting things going on where people are trying to tear down those walls, so to speak. But really interesting start to the show, Andrew. Let's talk more after the break. Hello, it's me again. I wanted to share a quick story with you on why I co-founded Sealink with my best mate, Chris. Chris and I, we're both QSs, and this is going to sound sad, but one night we were sat in the pub talking about subcontract tendering and we realised the industry had a problem. Number one, procurement was too paper-based. Number two, it was too time-consuming and every QS had their own unique way of doing things. And number three, perhaps most importantly, if you want to competitively tender, you need to know hundreds of the best subcontractors. We simply didn't. That's why we created C-Link. It's software to solve subcontract tendering. We wanted to remove these challenges and help the industry get better. So if you or someone you know tenders with subcontractors, you've got to see our software. Head over to our link, www.get.c-link.com forward slash podcast to find out more. I will include it in the description box. So again, there's no excuses. Now, let's get right back to the show. So, Andrew, data and data monetization. So in our business, we are strategically focused, long-term focused on how we can use the data that we gather from all of our construction projects through our technology for the long run. It's not easy doing that, but that's what we're trying to do. You've talked about how important that is for the industry. You've also talked to me and talked online about data monetization. What do the ROCS mean and what do you mean by data monetization? Well, I suppose if I'm honest, this is probably my personal definition. I'm not sure whether I've probably okay. articulated to RICS to have theirs. I, in a funny way, would reframe it totally. And perhaps I'm, I'm being too future thinking here in the sense that actually what I think the sector needs to do is think beyond the monetization of the data, but think of monetization of the analytics of the data. Because I think, and we touched earlier, I think, on, on the whole issues around sharing data and the barriers to those, some of which are technical and some of which are arguably more behavioral. What I think for me the key is, is for people to kind of let go of the idea that merely holding some data set has value, to think, well, actually, the value I bring is actually turning that data into information and analytics and useful. I the heard somebody, job. Yeah, I was talking to somebody in the States a few weeks ago, and they were talking about the concept of, uh, they called it dark data, where, and they were talking specifically about construction, where effectively, we were almost recording too much data that actually wasn't of any use and wasn't being turned into any actionable information and that we shouldn't be storing data for the sake of it. We should be thinking, well, what what data is important? What business decisions do we want to make? Then let's store that data and do the appropriate analytics on top. And the, the value, the monetization is in that analytical layer, not the data itself. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's where I think the QS comes in as someone who is already very data analytical, just looking at poor data sets, I think, as I was talking about earlier. So if you were to 
I completely understand that you're now saying you want to get data. You want to be strong with data analytics. What advice are the RICS currently giving to contractors on the data that they should be gathering so that they can then analyze it? What what do what should we be doing? I guess I would take that as a standard standards led approach. Now, if I think of something like things like ICMS and NRM, we're saying think about the structure, think about what you report. And if I think about things like ICMS, which is the International Construction uh, Measurement Standard, which is looking at now both costs and emissions right across the project cycle, it's taking that kind of cycle view of saying, actually, can we be taking these snapshots of costs and emissions and projections thereof all the way through from, from early stage to turn out to handover right through the operational cycle and be thinking, actually, let's Let's have that structured high-level reporting that we can use to benchmark. And basically, it's about getting back into these consistent data structures because once you have the data with that metadata, that, that sense of provenance, where does it come from? It's properly kind of annotated. You can then begin to answer business questions. And I, I guess the challenge and what we would be recommending is what questions are you going to ask? Because you can store data for the sake of it, but actually what, what are the business decisions you want to, to be able to ask this data? What are the kind of things you want to use? And there'll be certainly things that will come out of the data analytics that you didn't know about and perhaps things you can use it for. But you do need to start with an idea of, well, what do we want to do to decide to decisions make, advice to give to clients? You know, what are we going to use the data for? Some sense of, a, of, a, of an end game, at least, to say, well, look, there must be some usability, some purpose to this, rather than analytics for the sake of it that gives us information that's not actionable or really doesn't matter or drive any value for client or for contractor or for you know, top tier or whatever. For anyone. Yeah, I think yeah. a lot of the data for quantity surveyors that would be really useful would be around cost, would be around an understanding and ascertaining whether your what you're paying for is right, if you like your cost estimates, et cetera, et cetera. So if that is you've talked about you're plugging the RICS data standards, which makes perfect utter sense, right? But so say I'm a contractor and I'm commercially minded and I want to start standardizing the data that I've had, that I have or that I want to gather. I've answered those questions. It's about cost, for example. All of this still feels quite abstract the way we're talking about it. I want to try and help someone picture it. If I want to do that, how do I do it with the data standards? I think you kind of start simply and think, well, actually, let's think about some structured data that, that says, on the one hand, let's have some, some basic attributes of what are we building? And I know it seems obvious to say, but what is it? Where is it? How big is it? What's the size of the floor plate? You know, information on, on really the kind of asset itself. Because if we think of the kind of benchmarking use case where you want to say, well, actually, how can we cost jobs better in the future? How can we work out based on what we've built in the past, what are the kind of issues, what, what are the kind of costing that we should be looking at? And if we think of kind of life cycle and emissions, can, can we begin to build a library of the implications of certain design, design and material that, you know, decisions on, on embedded and operational carbon? So on the one hand, let's think about storing a reasonable data set about actually what is it we're building? Not necessarily a detailed BIM model if that isn't part of the project, but basic attributes about the size, the function, location, height, et cetera, et cetera, of the building. So we understand what we're actually building here. And if it's in an infrastructure space, the various attributes for bridges, tunnels, et cetera, not at a necessarily hugely granular level, but enough to start that kind of benchmarking conversation. Start simple and iterate. Yeah, exactly. Start simple. And then when it comes to the cost side, and once again, you know, I'm plugging the ICMS standard, but the beauty of that is it's quite a high-level reporting standard. So, yes, you might have somewhere squirreled away how many aluminium bolts you used and how many 
you know, square feet of carpet or whatever, but uh, I'm being slightly sort of flippant there. But my point is it's about thinking at those higher levels of granularity. Can we begin to benchmark at sensible levels of yes, how much did the groundworks cost as opposed to the the, the, the electrics and the sanitary wear and, and, and the windows and, and getting that level of granularity that makes sense, that's practical to record and analyze and keep. And then means you can you can begin to make some meaningful business decisions because you can be swamped by data. And, and that can be a danger, particularly for the smaller firms where you just haven't got the, the resource to do it. So it's about having sensible levels of, of granularity on the data you record. Totally. And touching on the small, you, I swear you keep on giving me the most fantastic segues. I wanted to ask you about small businesses. So talking about small businesses, the Langerorks, Balfabees, whoever, they might be able to say, look, we're going to allocate a data team, we're going to create a data team. 99% of construction businesses are SMEs. How can we help through this conversation, SMEs build a data capability? Realistically, they will need some outside help. But you know, there's a very vibrant kind of content, prop tech, sector out there where you know th there's much more accessible technology it shouldn't cost the earth to get some help in and think well actually can we build some simple systems here and you know having perhaps dist excel earlier you know power bi is a, a relatively simple to use product in terms of getting analytics on top of quite a disparate set of data sets some of which could be there i say excel you know you don't necessarily need to move away from that in the short term and it's probably worth thinking, can you get some kind of consultancy support? Can you get somebody comes perhaps comes in from the outside and just helps you build some simple dashboard, just some start, just, you know, it's the cliche of the, you know, the longest journey starts with a single step, but look at the data you've got. Can it be curated and tidied up in such a way that actually somebody could come in, build some dashboards for you, build some of that initial, you know, feedback loop of some value here by looking at the data you've got, maybe doing a bit of tidying up, putting something like Power BI or Tableau on top of it and giving you some useful dashboard that you can start comparing your projects and looking at exceptions. It's small chunks as well, right? It's that you're not going to, you don't need to create this yeah, mass, exactly. massive thing. It's, it's do one thing to improve your business. Exactly. You know, think about, you know, it's agility. It's small little sprints to use the IT term. You know, take one issue and say, look, maybe we've got an issue around benchmarking. You know, we want to get our previous data in, in such a state that we can do a bit of a better benchmarking when it comes to doing tenders let's just look at one issue get some help on that fix that get a return on investment and then grab another problem say okay we, we want to me measure labor rates over time and get a better understanding of, of how we're using subbies or whatever you know it's about taking a problem at a time a little chunk tidying up the data working out how you can make that work get a return on investment do the next thing what i wouldn't recommend is trying to sort of digitize your whole place overnight because you'll just get sucked into time and resource and, and money and you've got a day job you've got projects to run definitely no no 100 percent. and we've talked already on the show about professional skepticism which is your phrase but i'm running with it and i'm going to steal it <laughs> what do you mean by professional skepticism well i i think people always kind of slightly have a pejorative view when you talk about somebody being a skeptic but for me it's somebody just using their experience and judgment to look at in this context a data input a piece of data and say does that look right? Am I, you know, am I comfortable with where that's come from, how it's been collected? Do I think it's fit for purpose? And this is a term I use equally in a valid statement, whether I'm talking around the valuation process or whether I'm talking about, you know, looking at a construction data set. It's saying, actually, as a professional, I should reserve the right to say, tell me about the data. Where did it come from? How recent is it? Who's given it to us? What was the methodology? You know, has it been updated? Has it been manipulated in some way? And, and we can slightly open the 
the can of worms or the tin of worms here with kind of AI and big data, because there is a danger that you, you lose a level of abstraction once something's gone through some kind of AI program where you just really can't trace where it's come from or what's happened and how the algorithm has decided about the number it has spat out at the other end. And that is a big challenge and maybe a topic for another day. But there's still that, I think, that responsibility in the same way that you, if you were looking at a set of drawings and doing a quantity takeoff from that, you'd say, well, who did these drawings? Is it is it for the correct architect? Have I got the right drawings for the right building? Because <laughs> this doesn't look right. And are these the most up-to-date ones? Have these got all the changes that the client asked for? It's that sort of basic quality control of saying, data, whether it's digital, whether it's a 2D drawing, is this the right piece of material for me to base my decisions on? And I have the right to be skeptical until I've asked some questions to assure myself that I can now give you, Mr. Client, the right advice. Because I've, I've been skeptical, but I'm now positive I've got the right data. Yeah, I mean, I think professional skepticism is probably uh, higher in construction than it is in many sectors as well. I think it's almost innate to the skepticism side of almost all of us because of the nature of the industry that we work in. I think you've answered this in many ways, but we've talked about the evolution of the role of the quantity surveyor. The RICS very much wants the quantity surveying role to continue into the future, I would imagine, given the nature of the organisation. How do you see you being the RICS, but also yourself, the future role of the quantity surveyor. What are you preparing for? I think what we're preparing for is for quantity surveyors, and I would broaden this and talk about a lot of kind of surveying practice areas where, and this hopefully doesn't sound overly optimistic, what I, what I mean to get across here is that I see technology in so many ways removing a lot of the drudgery tasks, if I can use that phrase, the kind of basic data aggregation, data capture. I mean, there's an interesting statistic from data science, uh, actually, where a huge percentage of the average data scientist's time is spent tidying up data, curating data. Then they don't actually spend most of their day job doing the data science bit. And I think the opportunity not only for QSs, but more broadly, is that whilst they retain their scepticism, a lot of that basic legwork will be done for them and that will free them up for what they do best which is giving clients great advice on options on what to do on managing the stuff that happens and actually uh, maybe i'm being over optimistic but i i genuinely feel for the profession as a whole technology can automate workflows it, it can it can make data better we've talked about skepticism and not believing things that just appear on a spreadsheet but it's about making data better it's about joining data sources together it's improving the quality of data and it's freeing up actually for more human interaction for more quantity surveyors value is spending more time with their clients providing advice so i think we should be genuinely very optimistic that actually it's about and it's a cliche to talk about going up the value chain but the qs should be not sweating over a copy of Excel. They should be working with clients and architects and other parts of the of the value chain to add the value they bring. And increasingly with the challenge of, of whole life view of assets and design decisions and, and thinking about emissions and that bigger ESG part, QSs have a huge role to play in those early design decisions, not pouring over a copy of Excel. They should be saying, look, these are the options. We've crunched the data. These are the options. These are the trade-offs between embodied operational carbon, between maintenance cycles of your HVAC, putting what you're going to put in here, working around those 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 scenarios and looking at the trade-offs with a client. The, I mean, the reason why I like your terminology, professional scepticism, is I feel like at the heart of what a quantity surveyor does 
they are a professional skeptic and businesses whether they're contractors clients whoever that employ quantity surveyors want the quantity surveyor to be a professional skeptic but sadly the quantity surveyor spends endless hours doing what you've just described the data scientist does doing manual tasks that could be automated or trying to get hold of data that could make them a better skeptic our business we we think we automate out 600 hours of lost time for quantity surveyors during a project but just the ability to be able to focus on being a professional skeptic would massively radicalize the success of many projects i think and the enjoyment that many qss would get out of work right take away the nonsense take away the drudgery as you put it and focus on the data and actually getting into it and being that professional skeptic i think that's the future my only concern is how quickly we can get there because you know i look at the experience of bim in the sector and how long that's been here and how absent it still is on many many projects particularly down the down the chain but yeah it's fascinating stuff isn't it it is i mean it's interesting i mean i suppose we're into kind of the, the drivers and barriers part of the discussion and i guess given the importance of the whole kind of sustainability and esg agenda and how that will dare I say trickle down from project sponsors and, and from the capital markets in terms of investment and, and reporting requirements there will be, I think, in a good way, a real drive here about driving more openness about data in terms of the kind of emissions and, and costs involved. And I think that will force, in a good sense of the word, more of this digitization. So I, I think there will be positive pressures that will that will drive this. It will take time. And, and you know, it, it's about, and as ever, it's not so much about technology, it's about change management and, and leadership, isn't it? You know, it comes back to the fact that we have the technology but I think it's about leadership and investment and change management and, and taking people on the journey. It sounds a bit cliche to say that, but you know, it is a journey to get people to, to think and act differently and, and, in, and use this technology. Yeah, and don't rally against it because, as we said at the top of the show, such is the uh, lack of development or digitization means that there is a huge opportunity for your business to transform itself. And I wholeheartedly, very biasedly, running a tech company in quantity <laughs> surveying technology now believe in that but i see businesses getting transformed and i really believe that the opportunity is there and we're so undigitized that we can become more and more digitized so we're at the end of the show andrew we've rushed through that we've there's much <laughs> much more to talk about but perhaps there is um room for another show i'm sure that there is thank you so much for coming on the show i'm going to share your details i'll share your linkedin often doing great posts there doing hosting webinars and really really insightful things at the forefront of where the industry is at so i recommend that everyone does take a look at that and yeah like i said thank you so much for coming and uh, sharing everything that you have absolute pleasure and everybody as always i will be back next week have a great week ahead and i will speak to you soon take care